Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke 1, 67 through 79. Luke 1. Zechariah's song. While you're finding Matthew, Mark, Luke, while you're finding that, let me give you a little background. Priests, Levitical priests, priests provided the various forms of service for the Jewish temple in Jerusalem during the first century. They were divided into 24 divisions. There were a lot of priests. They came throughout all of Israel. And they were divided into 24 divisions, each serving for one week. So every priest had to serve once or had the privilege to serve once a week, I mean once a year, actually one time, one week, I'll get it right, two times a year. For one week, two times a year. And all the priests needed to be there to serve at Pentecost, at Passover, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. But out of all of these priests, because it's an all-skate that time when, when Zechariah is doing what he's doing, out of all those priests, Scripture focuses now on one. He was just minding his own business. He was just offering. He had a, a prestigious place because he was chosen by Lot, and he would walk in, and he's there at the altar, and he's offering incense before the Lord. Now, for him, he'd been, he was an old man. He had been doing this a long time. He'd been a priest ever since he was like uh, uh, 13, I think, up. And he had been a priest a long time, and he'd been doing his job. Now, he may not have done this before. That might have been his very first time because they were chosen by Lot. But in his mind, it was just another day. In a good way, it was another day. But as he's busy doing that, I mean, Scripture zeroes in one person. His name is Zechariah. And he had a wife, Elizabeth, who's back home. They were childless. They were elderly Jews. And they were folks who fully kept the law of Moses. Zechariah also looks to have been praying and praying a lot and for a long time. He'd been faithfully praying for his people and for his wife. And here he is, minding his own business, doing his job before the Lord. He doesn't know that he's about to be informed by none other than the angel Gabriel standing in the presence of God that all of his prayers are about to be answered soon. See, remember, Zechariah's been chosen by Lot. He's burning incense. Everybody is outside praying. He's busy doing his duty. And suddenly, it'd be like if we were standing here right now, it's just just another Sunday. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. Now, angels don't look like they do typically on Christmas trees and nativity scenes. Uh, They're pretty fearsome looking. So can you imagine an angel materializing and, and, and here he is? Well, in the Bible, every time an angel appears nearly, everyone freaks out for good cause, great fear. And that's what happened to him. An angel appears, he's very afraid. The angel identifies himself as Gabriel and informs him that his prayer has been heard. His wife will have a baby boy, and that baby will bring them much joy. And that baby will bring many, many, many others much joy. Because that baby is going to become the, capital T, the prophet who will turn many in Israel at that time in repentance back to God. And that repentance is going to prepare those people for a visitation by God himself. Now, Zechariah, he's an old guy. She's old. It's kind of like a Sarah and Abraham parallel. Zechariah responds in disbelief. Here's, Here's Gabriel. And Gabriel tells him, and Zechariah goes, I need a sign. 
I mean, the prospect of him and his wife being able to conceive a child, he knows he's too old. So he asks for a sign, and Gabriel gives him a rather unexpected one. He will be mute until the child is born. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, that word for mute has a range of meaning that that here probably applies. He was just not mute. If you read the text, you discover he was also deaf. And he walks out, he can't hear, he can't speak, and there's all these people waiting for the guy who's doing incense. And you can understand why everybody's going, what happened? And when they find out Elizabeth is pregnant, what kind of child is this going to be? So he returns back home, and his wife Elizabeth conceives. And six months into her pregnancy, they have a visit from someone named Mary, who's a relative. Mary's pregnant too. And as soon as Mary arrives and greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth, right then, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the baby inside Elizabeth, who the angel Gabriel said is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's probably filled at the same time. And he literally leaps for joy inside her womb. And then Elizabeth, automatically filled with the Spirit, begins to prophesy over Mary. Mary responds, you know the story, to the prophecy and stays with Zechariah and Elizabeth for about three more months. Six plus three, we're getting real close. And she leaves before Elizabeth's baby boy is born. But Elizabeth gives birth to a boy, and on the eighth day he's circumcised. And even though everybody expects him to do what they always do, name the boy after dad, Elizabeth, remember, Zechariah can't say anything, Elizabeth says, John. His name will be John. And the friends and family are very perplexed because they don't have any relatives named John. Where's John? But though Zachariah cannot hear nor speak, they start making different hand motions to him. You can see. That's all he's seeing. And he knows the problem is John. So he wants wants folks to know that he wants the baby named John too. So long before the iPad or the Galaxy, he motions for another type of tablet. And this one is wood, and it's covered in wax. And he writes on there that his name will be John. And as soon as he finishes writing, he now can hear and speak. And the first thing that he does is he blesses God, and he prophesies. It's a twofer. This blessing and prophecy in the original language is one single sentence. And it runs from verse 68 to verse, 69, to verse 79. Now, in the Vulgate, many of you may know what that is. It was the Bible written vulgar, Vulgate, in the common language of the day back in the 1300s. And in the Council of Trent in the 1400s, mid-1400s, they made the Vulgate the official Latin Bible of the Roman Catholic Church. And this sentence begins with the word benedictus which means blessing, or to speak well of, or to praise. So, hence, scripture, uh, scripture, this scripture is historically in the church referred to as the Benedictus. But back to the first century now, instead of the 14 and 15. Most Jews in the first century held to the belief that God had ceased speaking with the book of Malachi, the last book in our Old Testament. No activity of the Holy Spirit, no prophecy, no prophets, no visitation from God. And it had been over 400 years. But now the baby boy 
is born. John's here. He's a prophet who's going to lead many back through repentance to turn back to God. He's going to prepare the way for even a greater visitation. God visits them through John in order to prepare them for God himself to come on the scene. Now, with all of that in our head, let's look at this text. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Remember, the guy has not spoken for nine months, or more actually. First thing out of his mouth. You can imagine how he said it. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Now He looks down at His Son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this second song, we've been talking about songs and singing a new song. This second song, hymn, psalm, actually historically in the church it has been called a canticle. Canticle is just another way to say a hymn or psalm or another text from Scripture. That, excuse me, another text that's, that's not from the Psalms. So here's a text from Scripture. It doesn't appear in the Psalms. And the church historically would take those texts and bring them into the liturgy of the church. And they could be chanted, they could be sung, or they could be read. Hence where we get the name Canticle and why, why the Benedictus is called Zachariah's song. He wasn't singing it but the church has adopted it into its liturgy. Now, these Holy Spirit-inspired words from Zechariah, they celebrate the revelation that the promised time of salvation has commenced. It's begun. See, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God of Abraham and of David will deliver his people. This is a blessing. This is a prophecy. This is a done deal. And this blessing and prophecy also contrasts the future destiny of these two boys, one just born and the other still in Mary's womb. Zechariah's word speak about his son John, but his prophecy and his blessing focuses on the son to, be co- to still come, God's son, Jesus. So, let's briefly unpack It's going to be a shorter sermon this week because we have the baptisms. Let's briefly unpack this text and see what we can take away for today. But before we do, let's pray. Christ the Lord has come. Hope has come. Salvation has come. You have visited us, O God. And even we, centuries later, still benefit from that. 
the promise to Abraham, Lord, I'm not a Jew. I'm part of the nations that were blessed through the offspring of Abraham, Jesus. Lord, we can still repent and believe. We can still turn. We can still look forward to serving you in holiness and in righteousness all our days. These promises, this prophecy, these blessings are available to us today, right now. Lord, help us to grasp them and to get them and hold them close. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to just look at three things real quickly today. Who's the author? What's the benediction? And what's the prophecy? So the author, benediction, and prophecy. Let's look down at our text, verse 67. Who's the author? And his father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's a dual authorship. It's God using man through his humanity and with his voice. He doesn't take him over, but he uses and uses through him to speak his actual words that he wants spoken. So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you look, often in the Gospel of Luke, and you know that Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So as you read Luke and Acts, what you will find often is that when the Holy Spirit fills someone, the next thing that happens in the narrative again and again and again is a bold prophetic testimony with praise. And sure enough, here, the Holy Spirit fills and he immediately starts to bless God. He speaks well, benedictus. He blesses God for what he's done. Let's look at this benediction in verse 68 through 75. Let's look down and read it again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he's raised up a horn of... Do you notice it's all in the present, like the past tense? The baby just came out, and he's already speaking like it's done. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David because this little boy is in Mary's womb. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah begins with a blessing, a praise. He's speaking well of God. He's glorifying God. But he then gives specific reasons. It's not just the emotion of being able to speak. It's not just the emotion of being silent and deaf for all this time. It's not that he's passionate about his son. No, no, no. This is a Godward thing. Remember, he's been praying for his wife to have a kid. I get that. But that's not what this is about. He realizes what this boy's job description is and who's coming behind him. And Israel is about to be delivered. He glorifies God, giving specific reasons, specifics about what God has done in the past for Israel and what God will surely do in the future for all God's people. Zechariah doesn't get that all of us would be sitting here one day. But without knowing it, he's prophesying it. 
See, in the past, God had acted on behalf of his people, and he'd promised through the prophets that he would redeem and deliver his people in the future. So Zechariah's words confirm, but they also celebrate the fact that those promises in this little boy and in the little boy by our candle have begun to be fulfilled. God has visited his people. John is born, and Jesus will be soon. John will prepare God's people, and Jesus will redeem his people. John will prepare God's people, and Jesus will redeem his people. God has visited his people and has raised up a mighty Savior. A horn, that word foreign to us, that horn was a symbol of power, of strength, and of war. Think of it back as an agrarian culture. Here's an, here's an oxen with their great big horns. This ox would completely defeat its foe by just slamming into them and take it out conclusively and decisively. So a horn meant something the mighty, warlike, that decisively wins the battle. God has raised up a mighty Savior, oh yes, but also one from the lineage of King David. So one who has a horn, and it's from the house of David, just as he promised. See, Zechariah is praising God for his faithfulness, for his might, but he's also praising him for his mercy. Loyal love. That word for mercy is covenantal mercy. Mercy and covenant go together. And it's highlighted here as the reason for God's intervention. God intervenes because he's merciful. And this mercy mercy is not passive. This mercy is active. Literally, it says, God has done mercy. And how is God actively doing mercy? He's sending someone to prepare people for their Savior. Oh, it's awesome. God's continuing to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. He'll bless the entire world through the offspring of Abraham, the Lord Jesus. See, deliverance will surely come. Welcome to why it's all in the past tense. A deliverance is far greater and will do much more than a simple rescue from Roman domination. No, God will rescue his people, not just from the Romans, whatever, from sin from death, and from Satan himself. So then his people will be able to serve him free forever in holiness and without distraction or domination. Listen, if you're a Christian, when you drop dead, do you realize? I I don't know what that's going to be like. I kind of get seeing Jesus, but like never sinning again and not being distracted or tired or struggling with thoughts and different motivations. Hello! Right then. And that's what he's talking about. See, Zechariah is remembering the Exodus where Israel was delivered from slavery so they could worship, they could serve, they could live for God. And this mighty Messiah will accomplish a full and final redemption. Oh, one that the exodus under Moses, or the kingdom under David, or the promises to Abraham, all they did was point to what Zechariah is praising God for. One that's for all of God's people who turn from their own ways and follow God's Son, Jesus. It's just not for them. This song is for us. And let's look at the prophecy now. So there's that single sentence. Now he changes. He goes from the benedictus, benedictus to prophecy. Verse 76. He looks at his boy. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord 
to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So now we change gears. We move from what will be done to how it's going to be accomplished. This little baby boy will start his ministry first, before the next baby boy. This little baby boy, conceived by parents well past their prime and filled with the Holy Spirit, will point to the other baby boy, the one being carried by Mary. The one, Mary. Mary's not old, but a more miraculous thing that's come than just conception like Sarah and Abraham to a couple who can't have kids anymore because they're well past their prime. Oh, no, this baby is not conceived of a man. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. See, there's two babies now. There's one born and one soon to be born. There's one who's human and the other who is fully human but is also fully God. John will be God's prophet. John will prepare the way and point to God in the flesh. This is looking forward to the baptism of Jesus when John says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah prophesies that John will go before and note the language, the Lord. That word, is Yahweh or Jehovah. Luke is recording that the little baby in here, God has taken on flesh, is Yahweh of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, who's come now to fulfill all the promises made to Abraham. Oh, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than David, greater than Abraham. It's God himself who's coming. He's taken on flesh. John will bring to God's people in the first century the knowledge of salvation, the reconciliation with God that comes through the forgiveness of sin. See, salvation is motivated by God's tender mercy. Salvation is motivated by God's mercy, but salvation is manifested by him coming in the flesh. It's motivated. See, God loves you. But that's not enough. He comes in power and he takes on flesh and he's born to die so you can repent and believe and follow him and experience salvation, not just from a corrupt political system or from getting sick or people that don't like you. No, no, no. It's from sin and death and hell and Satan. (sighs) Salvation's come, and he's in the womb of Mary. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's the Lord. Not necessarily speaking to him like Sir, Senor, or or Lord of a a whatever. No, no, no. This This word for Lord here is a translation of the word God. The God of Israel, the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and hid him in the cleft of the rock. 
Jesus is God. And Jesus will be the light foretold in the Old Testament, in Numbers and in Isaiah, the light that's the dawn from on high. Some of your translations, you remember the rising sun, the morning star. Where do we get the bright and morning star? That's Old Testament prophecy talking about Jesus. The baby Jesus will be the messianic king who's also a bright and morning light coming from heaven and shining on those in darkness and death. Shining so that they can be guided into the path of peace and justice. Shining the light into their hearts so that they can repent and believe and turn and have faith and trust in Him. See, this, this little candle represents what's going on in the text. The, the text is all about John, I get that. But no, the text is about how John points to Christ. The text is about Jesus. And he wants to remind us today that that same redemption is available to us. If you're not a Christian, that redemption and salvation is available to you. But I know the majority of you in here, you are believers. I want to remind you too. Do you know what? God is faithful. He, there's two things that strike me about this text that comfort me. Several, but there's two. One is that God is faithful. What he promised, he delivers. And, and I'm not talking about temporal promises. That, that's good. But you know what? At the end of the day, when you, when, you, when you see an 11-year-old in a coffin, it kind of focuses life. See, he's promised that, that on that last day, when you're standing before the judge, there'll be no condemnation for you because you're in union with Christ Jesus. See, why do we sing joy to the world? Hello? It's to reverse the effects of the curse so you can be saved, so you can be redeemed. And when it's all said and done, you'll stand before the Lord without fear. You'll have awe, but without the fear of being sent to hell. <laughs> Hello? I don't care about a W-2. I don't care about my retirement. It doesn't matter if it's cold outside. I'm not going to hell. And that's something to have joy brought to the whole world, okay? And then the other thing is, last, he, uh, he still messes with broken people. This is for Christians now. Zechariah, he rejected what an angel appeared to him. He's a priest from cradle to grave. I, he counts as, whoops, an angel appears. He's at the altar, and just not an angel, that'd be enough. Gabriel shows up, IDs him, and says, I got great news for you. Your prayers are going to be answered. Israel's going to be saved. The, all the promises of the entire Bible are about to start, like in just a few months. It's all kicking in. And guess what? You are going to, your wife is going to conceive, old fella. We're answering your prayer, but not just giving you a kid, the kid. And what does he do? I don't think so. Um, you're not enough. And all this incense and the altar. Eh, yeah, I'm, I'm old, sorry, no can do. And then he gets the sign. Mm-hmm. What would you think? See, God's not like us. I'd go, let's find another Zechariah. 
Let's find somebody who's got faith. I mean, hello, I send an angel. You're standing in front of the altar. You're a good Jew. He's pious. He really is. He's a good Jew. And in, and in the moment that counted, he's swinging a miss. So what does God do? He disciplines him. And he restores him. So we can still trust God for restoration. He's come to save us then, but he's come to save us from our stupidity because sin is stupid. Now, let's pray. Oh Lord, what a text. It's about you saving us from hell. And it's about you still continuing, not just to put up with us. Lord, you love us more than that. But to continue, you don't need us. But you choose to use us. And then when we're dead, you're going to reward us for that. Lord, help us remember this Christmas as we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to remember our joy is not from how successful we are or how much stuff we get or how much stuff we give. Our joy comes because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> it's the joy of our salvation. But Lord, we're, most of us, if not all of us, I certainly am, we're not going to do everything right. And we're going to get caught up, and we're going to, and we're going to, and we're going to be with your family, and we're going to say something dumb, and here it goes. We're not going to be the best witness to every moment. Lord, help us to trust that you still work with broken vessels. Because it just points to you. Lord, we barely even realize that Zachariah missed it. We're so enthralled with the fact that after he missed it, not even enthralled with the fact that you used him, Lord, we don't even hardly see those things in the text. All we see is him praising you and prophesying about your redemption. Lord, let that be our focus. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.